And we're back, and you are with Villain Cast, BJJ Antiheroes, with myself, Chris the Villain Pains. Weekly podcasts featuring either my fellow black belt Naki Arshed on our show Reap the Week, or bespoke episodes with other personalities across jiu-jitsu. But before we jump into this next show, a quick thank you to everyone on Patreon who's supporting us. If you'd like to help support what we're doing, find out more via chrispainsbjj.com. And now, the next episode. And we're back with Villain Cast. Uh, it's myself, Chris Paynes, the villain. And really excited to do this one. Uh, there is no plan for this episode, but I have uh, Greg Sodas on with me. And he's he's the guy right now. Like, anytime I, I, I hear about uh, the ecological approach and, and different ways of, of teaching jujitsu. Greg's name comes up and uh, the amount of people who, who I speak to and they say, you have to talk to this guy. Uh, have you heard this guy? I'm like, yep, yep. I need to speak to Greg. And so we've not spoken before. We had a quick like hello before we, we hit record on this. Um, but yeah, this is this is when when Chris met Greg. And let's just see see where this goes. So uh, just for those who, for the five people who listen to this podcast and, and don't know who you are, um, if you'd like to introduce yourself, sir. Matt, that's, that's a big order. I don't really know who I am to these five people, but uh, you know, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> a fucking Matt Rat who really wants to improve the way we talk about and train jiu-jitsu. Uh, I'm actually, I, I'm a school owner uh, in uh, the East Coast of the United States uh, at a place called Rockville, Maryland. And uh, I opened a small school about eight years ago and uh, just kind of took out on this coaching journey, trying to be the best coach I could possibly be. And so in this journey, I, strub- I stumbled uh, across uh, some different ways to approach coaching and started applying something called the ecological approach to uh, how I run my class. Uh, and just recently got some, quote, whatever, notoriety, whatever the fuck that means, uh, on what <laughs> I was saying and how I was doing things. But uh, yeah, man, just, you know, typical Matt Rat who loves jiu-jitsu and wants to become the best coach at it that I possibly can. So it's pretty much who I am. So you've been uh, doing jiu-jitsu now for... 18 years. 18 years. Yeah, I, yeah. Saw, I saw it was on, uh, it was like 2004 or something like that. So you've been around uh, a while. Uh, yeah. What's your like, again, I, I'm, I'm learning a lot right now. So so what was your beginning in jiu-jitsu? Um, so I started with a team called Team Lloyd Irvin. I mean, they're a notorious American team. Yes. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's where I started. Uh, I actually started at affiliate school uh, uh, down here where I live. Uh, and after training about three years with this affiliate school, I moved up to the Camp Springs area where Lloyd Irvin is, and I was training under him full-time um, until I left the team in 2013 and sort of went off on my own. So, uh, yeah, my jiu-jitsu journey just started, you know, just a guy who's interested. I mean, because 2004 was when I think the Ultimate Fighter boom was happening, and, you know, all these schools were opening up, and jiu-jitsu was becoming super popularized. And uh, I was already kind of a fan of MMA by watching people fight. I didn't even know, like, gi jiu-jitsu existed i just thought like jiu-jitsu was fighting so that's what i wanted to do i was 19 years old i stumbled into a gym and i've literally been on the mats every single day uh, bar any injury or any other bullshit that's kept me away but yeah i mean i, was, I just ran into a room ran, <laughs> happened to be a lawyer of an affiliate and then spent <laughs> the last you know, the, the, that the, the nine year period training on and that team um so was that kind of approach the the ecological approach 
something you got from Lloyd's or so when oh, did you no. start coming across this? No. <laughs> oh no, just, no. So Lloyd's because, the opposite. He's Anders Ericsson IP all the way. Just because um I, you know I've met Ryan and Ryan's got some really Ryan Hall. Um yeah, I, know, I know Ryan very well. Oh no, no. I, I didn't want to say like Ryan just Ryan. Like, you know, we, we both know Ryan. But for anyone listening to this, like, who's Ryan? Like Ryan Hall. Like, he's got some interesting ways of doing jujitsu. And uh, I just wondered if there was like any connection as to from Lloyd Irvin as that would be the case. Well, actually, um, yes. Yeah. So actually Ryan this is the strangest thing, but I, there's this I'll tell this quick story if you don't mind about Ryan that oh, sort of always has been in the back of my head that kind of I guess I, I sort of a precursor to this. And honestly, if I'm, if I'm being honest, so it was we were purple belts uh, together, and we were at a tournament, and we just got done competing in this tournament circuit. Would have MMA and uh, you know Thai boxing fights afterwards, so people would just hang out, get in the regular street clothes, you know, drinking, hang out, chill. And uh, you know, we were watching these fights, and uh, Ryan and I were sitting together, and he was like, "Hey, man, I know the secret to jujitsu." <laughs> I was like. Oh yeah, and he was like, "Have you ever wondered why there's a triangle in every single uh, you know, jiu-jitsu uh, logo?" And I was like, "No." And he's like, "It's a it, it's a form of base, man." And then he started like breaking down what the triangle meant, why it's important, why it represents base, you know, edges and corners, blah blah blah. Uh, and so he was basically teaching me this idea that jiu-jitsu is a physical system. So it's this idea that if we align our bodies in this specific way, we get um, big outcomes or we get outcomes that are more favorable than if we just use effort. And so uh, we should go about learning how to move uh, more, more efficiently and align ourselves more efficiently to get uh, like said, a better outcome. And he said that to me that night and kind of was teaching me about that idea he had in his head. And I always stuck with me. Uh, because that night we really talked about three things. And it's odd that I remember this. He said, one, that jiu-jitsu is a physical system. Two, that it's a zero-sum game. And three, that situations dictate tactics. And uh, I never really let those three things go because they sort of form my fo- my foundational understanding of what the hell we're doing. And it's just funny that it came from him. And it was just like a, 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 a afterthought in the back of my mind that lasted with me forever. And it was through him that I learned those things. Funny enough, I, I, I initially met Ryan. He came to the UK as a white belt, so he would not have that any reason to remember me um but it would have been as he came over for the adcc in 2011 for nottingham um and he did a seminar that i went to you know i'd seen some of his his, his bits and pieces on youtube uh, for triangles weirdly enough and back then i didn't realize the importance of some of the stuff he was saying until i met preet mickelson um because one thing two of the things that ryan said was a um, control is based upon who inhabits the space between the other person's knees and armpits. That's an funny how that place. would define my fucking career. Um, <laughs> and the the other one uh, was um, it's it's you know you 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 have a base and your balance and your balance is is your shadow over your base. Um, and to to sweep someone is you want to interrupt that. Um, you want to try and separate their their balance from their base and there's those two kind of things i might be murdering that quite a lot but just those two ideas again i've like stuck with me since 2011 and um that's probably one of my first kind of introductions to a different way of understanding jiu-jitsu to have someone explain it that way instead of here's a sweep do this um but to actually get it, uh, have it broken down that way probably was that's probably the, the initial start of me going onto this path as well it's Ryan. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, he was always like that. He's always trying to figure things out. Ryan's a very intelligent guy who's well-read and, and uh, 
kind of stays with the pulse of what's happening. And he was just always on the edge of things, always trying to be different, always, not different for different sake, but uh, just yeah. trying to understand what he was doing as deeply as possible. And so it's nice when you get to run into guys like that if before you're the guy that's like that, you know what I mean? It's like uh, he was, a, he started yeah. Jiu-Jitsu a little bit before me. Uh, and so he was sort of ahead of the curve. Um, but anyway, I'm glad that we had that conversation because <laughs> I thought about it since that day. I mean, talking about, you know, yourself and Ryan and, and uh, you know, uh, I've been on, uh, the BJJ Mental Models podcast of Steve Kwan uh, a couple of times now. Me too. And listening, I, I, I completely, I know. And uh, listening to to how you speak and and the the ideas that you have and and you know you you're a very intelligent guy. Um, I feel like a goddamn monkey because I didn't hit this through any sort of understanding about pedagogy or or improved coaching practices or anything like that. I'm just like looking at it thinking what would make these people better like i suck <laughs> how would they get better than me and it's funny like you know you 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 know i've studied into these things and we're not too dissimilar apart yeah i i hit there from like maybe more of a brute force ignorant kind of method and so that's one of the reasons why i was really excited to talk to you it's like i i've a lot to understand about what the fuck i'm doing um well actually and, but, the, whole, the reason i was excited to talk to you is because i actually i like the way you were saying things i, I think that uh, what, what i think we'll get into later but it's the idea that you can re reach this uh, effective level of perception without knowing anything just noticing something just seeing something happen in front of you and ask the question what the fuck am i looking at and so when i when i when i first heard you talk because basically what happened was there was a, a girl that i was uh, i was doing these like coaching consulting calls uh and i was doing i did them for free for like eight months and i was spending probably like 12 hours uh, a week on the phone and i was talking to all these people and there's this girl from colorado who called me she's a white belt her and her husband were trying to put together their own practices and i was trying to help them design a way to, to engage in whatever that she wanted to work on. And she brought you up. She said, the reason I'm talking to you, is you sound like this guy, Chris Paynes. And that was the first time I ever heard your name. So of course I got on the rabbit hole on it. Cause I want to know who the hell is saying other things I want to learn. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So and then I stumbled across you on Sonny Brown's podcast and I listened to what you were saying to him. Uh, and then the way that you were describing that, you know, you, you see now that Jiu Jitsu is basically just a grip fight and, uh, the way that we're approaching solving these problems isn't efficient training, isn't matching what we're, we're discovering. And anyway, so I was like, oh, I got to talk to this guy. He's on the same, same page, regardless of how we speak about it. We see, we're seeing the same phenomenon. So I think there's a value in us connecting. Oh, completely. And that's again, like it, it feels so funny for, for, you know, Steve messaged me and said, Oh, you come back on the podcast. I'm like, why? You have these really, really smart guys. Uh, I'm just, I, you know, maybe I'm a translator for other dumb people like me, um, but that's about it. Like, <laughs> I can maybe speak ape. And that, well, that's well, <laughs> I mean, I think we're living in right now, especially this cult of personality thing, and it's kind of been running uh, sales and marketing forever. And um, uh, everybody has their own preferred personality. You know what I mean? Like what people accuse me of, quote, sounding like a PhD or, or talking too quickly or whatever the fuck they say. Or Greg's too intense. I can't listen to him, bro. He gets all excited. And I'm like, yo, and so they'll go to you. We might be saying the same shit, right? But you're yeah, yeah. oh, you know, you kind of – anyway. And people just prefer to listen to who they listen to no matter if it's the same thing you said. <laughs> It was it was funny because I, I actually got shown a uh, it was on the the mental models mental models Discord the other day a meme that someone had made of of Danaher and it was you know he says like you know such and such you know you should break their kazushi and and everything and it's just like me next to it just saying just fuck with his balance and I'm like, because it's the same thing <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> 
Like we're talking to an American population and we want to speak Japanese. Like what the fuck sense does that make? And I'm not missing Danaher. I mean, actually, I really like what Danaher has to say, and I, I, perf- I kind of like his um, highbrow approach to speaking about what's going on because we need some type of. Uh, leader and language in that space. Yeah, we yeah. need someone to inspire a more serious way to discuss things so we all have some end to reach to if he's going to be the guy right now that's sort of controlling that space. Um, so either we match him or we get better than him. But, he, but, but, but some of the things I'm just like, come on, man. Like, Kazushi means destabilization. And it doesn't even tell the whole picture. Like, yeah. uh, destabilization is always what's happening. And it was what Kano gave us. It was the, uh, the the principal objective that tied all the techniques together. It was this idea that a body was more easily damaged when it was taken out of its structure. And Kazushi, as destabilization, refers to, to two methods of this. This is destabilization as it relates to balance or as it relates to falling. And then we have destabilization as it relates to structural integrity, like straightening a straight arm is, is an example of Kazushi. Twisting a bent arm is an example of Kazushi. So this is a, the fundamental feature of moving a body and breaking a body simultaneously. So we can discuss it at a higher level than just repeating what the Japanese called it. Yeah, yeah. Which again, like I think my my kind of explanation of that came from Ryan, is that when he explained this whole idea of, of base and balance is... And again, I'm I'm murdering it and maybe adding my own bits over the years from this, but you know, it is a hierarchy of of importance in a fight. And if you are balanced, it's almost like it's in a secondary list. Um, you know, you're breathing and your balance are on a secondary list, and your your main concern is fighting me. But if I fuck with either of those two things, like I don't care how important you think the fight with me is, you have to address that base and balance issue. And whilst you're doing that, I can do what the fuck I want. Um, and so that just then from that, you know, 2011 seminar, that's I've, I've pretty much just kept on with that. Like I will fuck with your base, your 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 balance and your breathing all of the time. And so the last thing on your list of priorities is me and I get free reign to do what I want. Um, and so again, so <laughs> we're hitting these same ideas and... I think it's again. I, I was really interested to 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 hear why or what was the, what was the catalyst that got you into changing up how you talk. Like, what was the moment you looked at the normal Lloyd Irvin approach, shall we say, and yeah, gone, so, "Fuck this." I mean, really. <laughs> well, so I started saying "fuck this" before I said "fuck this." It's like you know when you first kind of feel like something's wrong, but you don't really know what it is and how to say it. But it's just kind of this this discomfort inside you. Like so that sort of hit me first like ah, this is just not right something's wrong but you know when i'm the type of dude who fully invests in what i do so i believed in him i believed in what he was saying i believed in the the things he, he told me because lloyd Irvin at his, at his base no matter what everyone else thinks about him is an intelligent man who knows how to create a culture he knows how to convince you that you can do something or what he wants you to do okay it's a double-edged sword so i, I was i bought in and I, he would, he would, I drilled so much that he would send people to me to drill. Like I was that guy. I was fully bought in, but my body was beat up. None of the stuff I was doing was transferring into the performance environment. So I was like, fuck, something's just not right. Um, and the truth is it really wasn't until I decided that I was going to become a coach that I made that change. Uh, what the catalyst for me was I had this intellectual responsibility. Like I realized that every asshole opens up jiu-jitsu school and puts on their fucking website. Same thing I have on mine. We're going to teach you jiu-jitsu. But the question is, can you? If this is your first time opening a school and you put that on your website, you're telling someone that you can do something. So then you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself, can you do this? What's the, where's the evidence? So I don't know. That hit me right away once I, I published my first – the first time I published the name of my school and what I was going to do. 
And then I just, I felt like I had to know. So I started reading. I started uh, looking into coaching uh, through other fields. I started looking at the D1 coaches here in America and what they were doing. Anyway, kind of stumbled down that road and I bumped into this, uh, this ecological dynamics or ecological psychology shit. Again, that's, that's, I think that's kind of interesting as well. I think I said this on the, the Forever White Belt podcast the other day. I, we were just podcasting to death right now. Um, is when it came to, again, I, I, I probably, for the same reasons, um, in that, so I, I, I was pretty much given the school I was at. or told to, to, to look after the, the jiu-jitsu grappling. It wasn't jiu-jitsu, it was just grappling program until the coaches came back that were injured, uh, simply because I was the only person in the room that could read. Um, and so there, there were guys in there who'd been you know, already training for about five years, and I was there like six months in. And you think, they should have been given the school. But just because I'd bought Jiu-Jitsu University and a couple of Eddie Bravo books that made me possibly more qualified about technique than these guys. Um, probably were. And so like that was essentially like, I was like, I don't know what the what the hell am I supposed to do? And like, you know how to triangle? He's like, yeah, just keep doing that. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so you know, essentially bought you know all these books because I I wanted to to do good by these guys and see them because it was a a quite you know it was a small team. It was only like five or six people, but um, you know it was quite a competitive school. It had always been known for being a, a violent school in the area. Uh, it had a reputation like it wasn't something you found on the internet or on Facebook. It was pre Facebook. It was word of mouth of you've heard of this place oh shit yeah that's that. where you go um and so i you know I, I saw like a um i had to keep that reputation going um so i i wanted to, to do better coaching but you mentioned about like d1 wrestlers and, and stuff is i think i said on the forever white belt podcast of there's the ha up until recently there hasn't been a lot of money in jiu-jitsu which hasn't attracted smart coaches so trying to find good coaching practice meant going elsewhere and when i want to to understand better how to compete and get over anxiety and you know explain those ideas to to other people who are competing alongside me from the team was to look at nfl coaches and and see how they dealt with team anxiety um and you know, I thought, well, there's a lot of money in those guys, and so they must know what the hell they're doing. Um, and and my understanding of of how you know it completely changed how I understood how to to compete overnight um, to a point where you know I've been at competitions in the past, and people have you know gone, where's Chris? You know, people who don't who you know know me, and they're like, oh yeah, he's he's asleep over there. Like yeah, he's on in like ten minutes. Like yeah, he knows he's going to be awake in eight. <laughs> like, isn't he going to warm up? No, he's he's napping right now. Um, right, okay. What is that next to him? A notepad. What's he going <laughs> to do with that? Write down things that he likes. <laughs> and so, you know, there's other guys with like you know headphones on, jumping up and down, doing star jumps or skipping or whatever. And, and there's me napping with a notepad. And and that as I got that from NFL, like of bring things back under your control. The anxiety is you trying to control things that you've aren't under your control anymore um you're, you're trying to control the uncontrollable so bring things back under your control say what you're going to do which then makes sense when you hear you know again that kind of that language issue that we have and you know, we're, we're, com we're communicative animals and we suck at communication um sure. you hear uh, you know visualization cool what do you mean 
and essentially that was it like you know you don't don't try and necessarily envisage you know countering what the other person's going to do and just being reactive be proactive visualize what you want to do and that was you know getting a notepad out and just writing i'd like to leg lock you i'd like to <laughs> that was essentially my visualization and all of a sudden that kind of clicked for me i was like oh damn and i think it's interesting especially i don't know if meta morris or adcc was the the catalyst for this but it started to bring in these smart ass people and uh, i think since then the the understanding of coaching has really exploded well, you know, I think it's this like accidental connection between um, the mechanical and tactical and strategic understanding for jiu-jitsu and like the nerdy mind, right? Because jiu-jitsu made, kind of made this promise that a weaker guy could beat a bigger guy. So then, of course, who's that going to attract? You know, weak, vulnerable guys who want to beat bigger guys, right? So that's who they're going to pull into the sport. And so these guys are going to mess around and tinker with it just like they do everything else. And they're going to start to pull it apart. Uh, you know what I mean? Of course, if that culture is allowed to thrive, but I think that's kind of what happened to us. You know, these guys who after work wanted to go, you know, see what it's like to get rough and, and figure it out. And it just seemed to attract that type of person. Uh, I talked about this with somebody as one of the podcasts I was on or whatever. But the funny thing now is that not only the smart guys are involved, but now the athletes are getting involved. So now yeah. we have a new fucking problem. Like, you know, this this whole little guy beats big guy shit. That's a myth. Oh, completely. Uh, and so it's funny now, like I was talking to him, I was like, yeah, man, so this, you, you can be a nerd, but you got to be a jack nerd who likes to fight. Uh, because if you're not, uh, that nerdy mind shit's going right out the window once a big guy picks you up and slams you on your back. <laughs> Mikey Musumessi's ears are just pricked up from that. Like, he's like, someone's talking about me, and I'm not sure in what way. Like, well, no, I have to be that, like, smart yeah, look, and athletic. I mean, look at Mikey. I mean, he's like, he's got, he's all ripped up and shit. You know what I mean? Exactly. He goes and he's hard, smart man. as fuck. And so yeah, yeah. it's like, he is that prototype. Um, you know, I, it's funny. We forget that we're fighting. Like, I, I can't stand all this talk about where they try to parse out uh, techniques and they try to separate it from um, the effort that's required to employ these techniques. I'm like, dude, I, there, I've never trained with an elite guy that didn't feel like death. That would just yeah. put their hands on you and just beat the brakes off you. You know what I mean? No matter how good they were. That shit was physical. It was effortful and it hurt. Um, anyway, so I'd like to yeah. keep those two things married, those high effort athletic types with the nerdy intelligent types like i made the joke earlier like you know jujitsu has definitely gone down the route of you know jujitsu for everyone no it's not and then you know maybe you know anyone can join a jujitsu club you're more than welcome to come through the door but it may not be for you and i remember when i started you know 14 years ago you know i'd go to these these competitions in you know sports halls in the uk and it looked like a, a white nationalist meeting like you know there was just <laughs> jacked dudes with shaved heads everywhere and you know no one owned a rash guard it was it was you know school kind of physical education pe shorts and that was it and they you know there was, there was, i remember one dude got choked out in his first round he had a repoge fight and he got choked out in that round as well like that dude wasn't smart like, he got choked out like twice <laughs> on the bounce and so and it was you know it was, it was rough you know you see those old videos of you know, some old comp. Uh, what came up earlier with uh, the Jeff Monson one from like 2004, where like you know the fight breaks out. And yeah, just, yeah. Like, you wouldn't see that these days. Um, not as much, at least. Um, well, there's one when when uh, 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 what the guy's name, the, the guy from Unity, got slapped in the face, and then they got it was at the the first ADCC Open over here in Las Vegas, and they got in the full on fist fight, and the Murillo jumped, Murillo Santana jumped in, and he they had there was some situation there. 
but yeah, it was a fight broke out. They were like they were swinging, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. It's like it's, and that's I think the problem is that you know we've gone down this whole jujitsu for everyone, and it's we've tried to adapt the jujitsu to be for everyone. In the case, like you know, it pains me when you know I have someone who comes up to me with the tiniest legs. And they say, oh, how do I triangle guys who have got, like, giant shoulders? You Fucking don't. don't. Like, it's not, you know, you're not entitled to have every technique available for you. I don't know, sure. care what the advert says when it says jujitsu for everyone, but it ain't. And that's well, not it, the technique for you on no, this point. Try not, not trying to purposely take it over to the ecological approach. <laughs> they talk about uh, in uh, ecology that the whole idea is that we're using the task environment individual system. Uh, we're manipulating that and its variations to create behavior. Uh, and one of the uh, principles they discuss and what and why behaviors emerge from individual constraints is this idea of limiting factors. So there are certain individual constraints that are limiting factors to what movement solutions can emerge while solving a physical problem. So you think about the guy with the fat belly who can't take anybody's back because his belly is bigger than his legs are long. That's a limiting factor, right? So we can't act like it's not there. We have to, that is an individual constraint that's going to a guide, that's going to guide the movement solution that emerges from your attempts to do X, Y, or Z. And it's up to us as coaches to recognize that being real and not try to have that guy, you know, go down that rabbit hole of trying to put his hooks in when, when he'll never be able to do it. Uh, and so there, there needs to be a deeper level of honesty, not only with ourselves as coaches, but directly with our students, uh, which I've gained a reputation of. I'm a pretty direct guy. And I tell my students directly, yo, you're fat. If you want to, if this wants to be easier for you, you got rid of that thing hanging off your gut. Because you're not going to be able to do this behavior. <laughs> so I'm so glad I've had you on. Like I didn't, I didn't want a career and to have a podcast that went on. But there we go. <laughs> like so, this, I'm sure I'm going to get some messages across this. Um, yeah, essentially the same. And it's, I think it was that almost, yeah, you know, a mixture of of pre and learn the defensive postures definitely changed how you know. Uh, I've said it before, like um, Christian Graugart, the Globetrotter, when he mm -hmm. first le started learning the defensive postures, was, um, you know, he looked at it and went, well, how the hell am I going to teach side control now? I know it doesn't exist. And so that can, you know, force the reaction of, you know, how uh, tr teaching different. Um, but I guess, you know, half of that, again, like you said, that, that the the constraints of the, of, the, of the person is I just eventually got sick of people, maybe. <laughs> oh no no if you're a teacher you'll get sick of me real quick like in that, you know, now, so. all these questions of like you know how do i do this and there's me trying to rack my brain thinking oh, how how does a short person with tiny legs triangle the giant shouldered guy like i know it's impossible and then i'm just going you can't why are you asking like if you can't it's not for you um let's find something that does work for you um this this technique isn't yours sorry you may like the look of it and it will work against you know people with really skinny shoulders uh but it's that's the idea of a game plan you don't just brute force the same game plan against everyone you find you find one that works for your body well, and the body of the type of person you're, you're drilling with well this is also why part of my uh coaching program is to have students focus on invariance so these are things uh uh, shared between or that all bodies have in common right and then and there are not only invariant features of the human body that we know produce you know one effect over another more consistently but when two bodies are fighting 
there's these steady states or the invariant features that show up in the system as they fight uh, that it, that anyone can manipulate regardless of body size, body type, belly type, whatever you have. You know? um, and it's focusing on those invariants that, that make you uh, a better grappler, right? Not focusing on the triangle, the arm lock, or, or whatever technique you want to name, but how the body, how you're exchanging with your partner and what you're trying to do to that person uh, is really what we need to focus on, right? So it kind of erases that problem. You know, you don't need to triangle anybody. A triangle is what we call an arm in, arm out strangle. So arm in, arm out strangles can be expressed many different ways. We have head and arm guillotine. We have head and arm strangle, chest facing. We have triangle. We have buggy. These are all examples of the same thing. So if we understand the invariant nature of head and arm strangles, then we can get them with different parts of our body aligned differently based on the, our individual constraints. So again, trying to force someone to understand a specific alignment that has nothing to do with their individual constraints is not only a waste of that person's time, but it's a mismanagement of our understanding of how grappling emerges and why it emerges. So uh, that's frustrating to see coaches still do that. I think the... The normal way of teaching jujitsu, the 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 standard method, dogmatic approach. Um, you know, if, if you're going to be honest about you know uh, your your coaching and wanting to do best by your students, you 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 have to abandon it because, like you just said, like you know the the if we're just going to drill a technique, like we're going to do triangles, and everyone in the room wants to take part in the class, they may have a partner who isn't suited to do triangles against. Um, yet they still want to be part of the class. And then, you know, we have a, uh, an element of guilt as a coach. We look at that person and go, ah, oh, shit. Like, well, you ain't doing you ain't doing this class then, I guess. Like, um, and, uh, you know, then they look at the thing, well, I just, I paid my money. I'm entitled to get this technique. Show me how it works. Smart man. Um, <laughs> and then we, we go down this silly rabbit hole going well I'm sure you could do it this and this and we know it's nonsense and they're never going to use it um, but like I say if you are you are honest with that person I mean drilling is essentially you know you're doing a technique um, that's only you know, in a setup or whatever that's only going to work against that body type that you're currently doing against right now because the second you change that variable of the body type or, or anything it's, it's a different technique it has the, everything the, the, changes exactly and so you think the drilling that you're doing is very 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 like much more specific than you think it is it's only exists in this very narrow frame and you know like i said i i maybe have different ways of explaining things like you know when it comes to hand fighting you know you mentioned earlier um the 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 main way i kind of explain it is this idea that hand fighting is is just a comp you know it's a it's a way of breaking through the pocket to get to the clinch, um, and it is a it's 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 chaos of smoke smoke particles. You're you're shining a laser pen through smoke, and certain particles are illuminating. And that is you know once upon a time that coach found you know got from A to B um, through the smoke. Those particles were in alignment that day, and now I'm going to teach you it. And so yeah. when you try and then repeat that same setup, you're trying to realign particles of chaos. Well, so the I, I like that as a, an interesting way to describe it. Um, uh, what you're talking about is something called perspective control. Um, so perspective control is the idea that we prospect for information, and then as we are as it, we're in, we get gain that information, our perception changes relative to our action, then it changes our action. So 
like they talk about uh, this perception action link as being a precursor to emergent behavior. And the idea behind perception and action is that it's not a chicken or the egg, like which comes first, which comes second. They're both happening at all times. To live in the world, you must act in it. When you act, you perceive, you pick up information, and then you act off that perception. And so hand fighting and ask, well, excuse me, I'm going to say hand fighting in general as a blanket statement, but uh, hand fighting is how we prospect for the information we need to go in the direction that we're going in relative to our objective within the game. So hand fighting is to grapplers, like punching is to boxers. Like we're playing a grasping game where we're trying to grab a hold of our opponent and use gra grasping leverages for a particular effect. So if we're not hand fighting, then we are not grappling. We're doing something else. So it really is all hand fighting from beginning to end. Completely. But again, like it's that, you know, the the atypical approach to jujitsu of, um, you know, here's, here's essentially a hand fight that I used once upon a time drill this say this drill this hand fight and especially you know i came from maybe from a more traditional background of of martial arts you know i, I did various ones as i was younger like i then thought like i have to replicate exactly what i was shown and you know i don't feel like i'm terribly alone in that in that the amount of people who are still like asking for you know, on different forums or facebook groups that like they need you know some new passes from half guard like why what's wrong with because the they, one you have because they don't understand the method to getting to that see the problem yeah, is, is exactly. our, our community only sees solution they don't see the formula they don't even know what the variables are they don't know what the problem is this is like you know learning addition by constantly asking your mom what the what does two plus two mean what does three plus five mean and then be like i got it no, you fucking don't. You just listen to what your mom just told you. You don't know anything. And so yeah. you have a bunch of guys, you remember a bunch of shit that doesn't mean anything anyway, thinking they know something, but they don't know anything, right? Like if you if you ask somebody, and actually I, I thought it was really cool that what, what you just talked about, you were talking about as someone's base and breathing being the, the foundational aspects of fighting. Dude, that is completely true. And that is something that we need to take seriously when we're looking at jujitsu. But if you ask somebody what the foundational aspects of uh, you know fighting are, they wouldn't be able to tell you that. You you could probably ask 99% of the community and they would never come to breathing and base. I'm serious. Yeah, and so it's, it's... that's troubling. <laughs> like who are we taking advice from if they don't understand that your body will prioritize those two things over all else? And and th that reforms and like again you know I think when you first sent me a voice message is that you know I, I was trying I was grasping through the air trying to figure out how to do how to find the the most concise way of doing this for for people walking into the gym and I think I've kind of hit it now um, I'm I'm quite happy with with the current setup shall we say um, but like I said that's you know one of one of the absolute foundations of understanding of fighting like you know Kazushi whatever you want to call it, Mr. Danaher, I need to fuck with your base. And if you're breathing, if I can fuck with those two things, I can make you panic and do dumb shit and you're not going to think of me at that t at point in time. Um, but if I was to ask someone to then construct a fundamental jujitsu course, that would not be a part of it. You'd fall back straight onto, well, here's a close guard, here's a side control, here's a mount, here's an Americana. Uh... Well there's random shit you have no context for. Well, what's even funnier is that's not even jujitsu. So jujitsu is not actions. Jujitsu is a philosophy. Grappling are the actions yes. that we're doing. So <sighs> jujitsu is just the philosophy of efficiency. It can be simply stated as more versus less, right? So we use more versus less to get more outcome than we give input, right? So 
that that's literally all it is. It's, it's a way we think about how to manipulate a body and superior angles and distances and whatever. That's all it is. Grappling is the action that we're doing. But again, we don't, I mean, most people don't even understand what the hell they're doing. Um, I, I, I've been distilling this down for about eight years. Uh, and so trying to come up with a very simple way to explain what the hell is going on. And if you've listened to me before, you listen to me say it a million times, but we play the game of immobilization as it leads to strangulation and breaking. And so then if we know that, then what we have to do is we have to, to study the actions to understand how to best immobilize a body or prevent from being immobilized. And that gives us the foundational approach to how we should take action against our opponent or how should we take action to resist our opponent. Um, and if you can look at it this way, you know, things make much more sense and designing a practice plan becomes much easier. It's again, like, you know, I think we, we all kind of ears in the same ballpark when we're trying to explain this. I mean, it was, you know, a, a fortunate enough to go to a Mr. Danaher seminar um, back in about 2016. Um, and he was, he was, he was flanked by uh, Messrs. Tonin and uh, Ryan at the time. And he 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 mentioned about um, you know, the the four step jujitsu program. I think he said it on Rogan as well. Uh, Put him down past the legs, hold him down. Yeah, yeah. get him down to the ground, take him to world jujitsu, get past the most dangerous part of the body, go through a hierarchy of controls, and um, either manipulate one of their joints to to destroying a ligament or yeah, choke them. Um, and I said that that's a pretty decent philosophy on this and. I essentially started saying this roughly the same thing. You know, jujitsu is when new people start, you know, join the gym, I give them the exact same thing as soon as they walk in. This is a philosophy. The philosophy is how do I take down, hold down, and get up, submit you. And if and if I'm on the floor, I reverse that process. I I don't want to be um, submitted, so we're gonna look at stopping that. I don't want to be held down, and I want to get back onto my feet. And and this is this is the essentially what we're going to try and accomplish. Um, now you have context for it. Now hopefully this is going to start making more sense instead of just here's a bunch of things, no context. No, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, I tell everyone the first thing we have to be able to do is beat up the ignorant antagonist, and they're like, "What's the ignorant antagonist?" Like I'll show you. Uh, you're going to get on top of your partner, and they're going to push you off. Okay, so bottom guy. Uh, this person's going to mount you. They're going to sit on your hips, and I want you to use your arms and as violently as possible. I want you to push them off of you. Top player, don't let them do that. Go. You know how? Well, just go, go. Figure it out, man. Feel it. Can you stop someone from pushing you off them? If you can't, that's the first place you start. Uh, yeah. Because what's what's more what's more foundational than an aggressive person shoving you? That's how all fights start in the playground, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you can't if you can't manage that in any of your given top positions, if you can't manage a basic push then we can't even start the process. So again, stay on top, hold your partner down. That's the first lesson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, um, and it's interesting as well. I mean, I've been badgering on about this. I mean, I'm sure if you heard that previous podcast, you, you've probably heard it. But this idea that there's there's parasitical elements in jiu-jitsu that are conditioning us to do dumb shit. Um, oh yeah, we call it the gentleman's agreement. Yeah, fuck the gentleman's agreement, man. Like, yeah, yeah, so gentleman's group. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's i think it's it's i need you know we ha yeah exactly i probably use the exact same or similar terminology in the past but i find it wasn't aggressive enough to to force change and so calling it the this awful parasite that makes everyone shit um in that you know if, for anyone who hasn't heard me say it somehow um is this idea that if i if i you know uh, 
we've all had those instances where we've had new people come to the gym, like wrestlers or rugby players or, you know, American football players or whatever, and you try and sweep them and they don't go over. And but you can sweep a regular jujitsu person. And I saw it recently, like um, it was on I think it was the Fanatics forum. Someone saying that you know they're a brown belt and they find it easier fighting blue belts and purple belts uh, than white belts, like brand new beginners. Um, and there's some of the 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 dissonance coming out of the of the fucking comments, like wanting me to drag my face along the pavement. Oh, um, Reddit for me is is like it's where all the dumbass. I don't even know what to say. I can't even. I'm so emotional about Reddit. <laughs> I I hate it. It's a dumping ground for people's insecurities. That's what it is. It's a dumping ground for people's ignorance and insecurities. If that's what you're talking about, that's what form you're talking about. Uh, oh no, it was, it was, uh, dude. Obviously, <laughs> the amount of, the amount of times I, I I was seeing people say, well, you know, they're 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 not trained to do the right thing. I'm like, so what? Like how, so because the white the brand new beginner's not trained to do the right thing that they're doing the wrong thing, which happens to be the right thing that's stopping you what you're doing. Um and that's essentially the same thing with this, you know, I, I again I say it from a position of guilt of I used to be able to sweep, you know, blue belts, purple belts quite quite happily. Then I come across some belligerent, you know, athletic uh beginner who's just like, No, I'm not going on to my why am I going onto my back? That seems stupid. Um I couldn't sweep the fuckers. Uh, and then over time, you know, you condition them and condition them to to go into guard, etc. And now they become sweepable because they, they right. think it's okay to go into their back. And the amount of aspects of jujitsu which are just those conditioned responses has has uh, I've said it quite a few times now. We are cosplaying as as serious combat sports athletes now we 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 pretend that we have some sort of connection to legitimately scary people uh who do mma and, and other things like that but we we what we do what the majority do in the gym now is nothing compared to that but we we live in the heyday of yeah if it wasn't for us we you know we'd be no mma and ufc yeah that's 30 years ago um <laughs> There hasn't been a, a straight, real jiu-jitsu person succeeding in MMA for a long time. Well, what's funny is I, I think jiu-jitsu is what defines MMA, but the physical action that we're seeing has evolved into what, what wins a fight, right? Yes. So, you know, again, like I said, it's the, it's the philosophy that guides the fight. We're still using it. However, we're not jumping close guard unless we're Cron Gracie trying to relive the 1991. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> You know, it's all these dads that want to throw pajamas on, just like, you know, a weekend fan at football thinks of the same people that yeah. are playing on the front line. It's, it's just we sold, we sold that fantasy. So as sales and marketers, we sold this fantasy that you could do it too. Um, and now yeah. we're in the process of reverse engineering it. Um, and it, and the, the response that is so strong, it's like people are resisting us saying, hey, guys, this thing has changed. This is a new beast now. You know, this has become a full-fledged sport. And, and who comes to sport? Athletic people who like to compete. Um, so if you're not that type of person, you know, you're not going to find much success anymore unless you go to a gym that continues to cosplay. But, um, I mean, that's, I think that's a new thing as gym owners that we're dealing with. We're dealing with this idea that there's this uh, true emergence of what grappling is. Um, and it's uh, just as hard as any other sport. And weirdly enough, uh, I was so uh, I was down on the south uh, coast of the UK today. Um, you know, we've we've both had pretty pretty decent days. I was doing a seminar, 
and it was a, a an ex student of mine who who moved away about ten years ago, and we literally what you said there. Like I hope he listens to this. Like hey Andy, um, but he he uh, he literally said the exact same of. And it was it was interesting as well. Like, I think it was a, a Cerrone quote recently um, about uh, TRT. Okay. That you know he's, he's he's retired and he's starting to take TRT now, and he's like, "Oh my god, I can see why this is banned." It might have been a quote by him or someone like who like went down the rabbit hole of like other athletes saying it, but you, you can't allow you know guys to to go into TRT when they're older because they have the wisdom of someone who's been fighting a long time. Then you give them the athleticism of someone in their twenties again. Like that's not fair. There has to be a trade off somewhere. Um, but again, like, like I say, it's this is a sport. Like, you know, the athletic person, the bigger athletic person in a sport, it's a physical fucking thing, should win. And, you know, we we go down this guilty route of like, you know, it's like jujitsu for all. And there's people saying, well, but what if they are a better wrestler and I can't get up? Fuck for you then. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to be laying on the ground and decide, until you decide to do something about it or train enough to do something about it. Exactly. Uh, like, sorry. Like, you got to fix that then. Like, maybe ask them for some tips. Um, <laughs> or, like, or just start trying to do what they're doing to you. Yeah. Um, or, like, I'm the older guy. Like, how am I going to beat up younger guys? Fuck. Like, sorry. Like, you know, I can't, again, I can't help you with that entitlement issue that you have. Like, do the best you can. Enjoy the sport. Athletic people are going to, be athletic you can't yeah. help that it's like i i can't stand this uh pe- the people who try to uh, diminish attribute like attribute is critical like you wouldn't tell a smart guy to stop being smart or a flexible guy to stop being flexible so why the hell would you tell a com- overly competitive guy or strong guy to stop being either like they you want them to bring that to the table because that's what's going to color the their emergent behavior that's what's going to color what comes out uh, and that's a very interesting thing that we can use our own individualized attributes to express ourselves in this thing so we should let those exist and we should you know praise them not reduce them and the only time that i ever talk about an attribute being a problem is if it becomes a crutch or it, be, it itself becomes a limiting factor to what you can achieve because sometimes that can happen yeah, yeah. you know the, the head that's used to squeezing everyone's head off holding them down sometimes can't break that attractor and then all of a sudden they're stuck with this behavior that they can't change and they never grow but other than that if the attribute is benefiting the person let them have it you know what i yeah. mean and i, I um, actually wanted to say one more thing sorry i didn't mean to keep no, talking completely. so much no, no, absolutely please when, when you're talking the right and wrong thing this is something that we talk about a lot and uh, so one thing i always tell my students is right and wrongness is a spectrum and the only thing that's right is what's effective now and it doesn't mean that it can't be more effective because at the end of that spectrum of rightness is what we call efficiency. This is when something can be done consistently at a low energy cost in a timely manner. So we want to take these effectivities that are right because they are effective and we want to make them as efficient as we possibly can. So again, just getting, the, just pushing someone off you is an effective way to get off the bottom. So don't stop doing it until you have to do it another way, right? We can't solve the problems that we're not yet facing. So to tell somebody some, that they're doing something wrong is to, you know, put the cart before the horse because you think that you have the, you know, jiu-jitsu equivalent of the knowledge of how to perfectly escape somebody's position by putting your arms in a specific shape. Well, what if it's not like that for him? You know what I mean? So uh, anyway, uh, so I always say right is wrong. It's a spectrum. We start first with effective. It's, it's kind of similar to, to Preet. Again, Preet Mickelson, he, he talks about this guy yeah, like uh, full spectrum – um, 
I, I'm still aware this is like a phone call in the podcast. So like anyone's listening, I'm like, I have to make sure that I say their full name. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah, I keep like, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like, we're just chatting. It's like, but we're talking to like a third person who isn't here. Um, yeah, so that's why I keep. I know, yeah, I know you know all these people. But I'm just like, I know I sound mental otherwise to you. But I just have to say, be be something of a host right now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Preet Mikkelsen um, says about that kind of full spectrum of motion, like uh, like you know, if you're doing um, close guard passing, you know, historically, show me like you know, you, okay, you have to have a posture and getting up, but you also have to have a stack in and everything in between, and um, instead of just like only with the posture because then if you don't you know if you, all you ever have is someone with a posture when you come across someone with a stack and and it crushes your head and you don't know how to sweep them or submit them from there well you have a problem and then again we go back to that conditioning of oh you're doing it wrong you have to posture then they posture and you kill them you're like what you, you, you they were doing the right thing slash wrong thing that you thought was wrong but was actually right then you got them to do this thing and now you beat them uh, exactly, pretty much similar to what you were just saying there. Um, well, all effectivities are relative to their task objective. So, and, and there's tons of variation in between. So everything right and wrong happens in degrees. It doesn't happen in absolutes. And these degrees are relative to the level of resistance the two athletes are imposing on each other and the time it takes to break down these resistances. So the structure as it relates to what's going on will constantly be in flux until it's effective enough to accomplish the goal. And this will always change. You know, we, you, you can break down any movement, jiu-jitsu or otherwise, into three foundational things, your connections, your structures, and your movements, right? So we have to connect to the world to interact with it. We have to structure our body in a particular way to uh, apply and receive force of, of all varying types, even the force of gravity. We got to structure ourselves a specific way. And then we have to move around the world. We have to have locomotion. We have to be able to move. And so these three things are always in flux and they're always relative to what's happening in front of us at any given time. And again, there's so much variation present in any given time that we can never say that the same thing needs to be done in the same way every time. No, completely. Um, and I, exactly. And I think as soon as you start going down this rabbit hole of, of the, the you know, you, essentially find these things to be true you, you you have to abandon the the usual approach to jiu-jitsu because it, it can't it can't carry on uh so that's why i find it really interesting to see that you know, the route you took here and what was like the the different catalysts that kind of forced your hand as it were um i said the, the main one i had was was the defensive postures like we can't do side control now we can't learn that because there's something in the way and and our route there has been has, has been ruined, and we thought we were better than we were. Um, so it was adapting to that and and um, training better defense. And uh, I like the idea of of you know I talked to to Rob Cole as well. I'm not sure which order these part of these episodes will come out. Is the idea of having a, a dead partner, as it were? Um, it's you know it's it's. The bigger the bigger thing to be talked about is this idea that that you said earlier about spoon feeding. I said on the previous one about spoon feeding um, information to your students. Like you know, don't let them think for themselves. Like here you go, here's another mouthful of technique for you. Um, instead of you're an intelligent human being, I assume. Um, figure this out. Trust I trust you to figure this out. Here's some parameters. Figure your way out. Here's some tools to do it with. Um, 
and 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 any anyone who's you know ever tried to learn anything ever um this is how we learn everything we Absolutely. we try and we 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 see a conundrum in front of us we get given basic tools then we like go right i need to figure out how i need to get to this this destination how am i going to get there um and just asking the coach go right what do i do now easy way out you just you just you, know, you don't learn your your times table at school by just rote remembering what the symbols mean and replicating them in the future you you try and understand what the x means in between these two numbers so if you come across maybe a number that you haven't seen before a combination of them you can figure your way out of it instead of yeah. well i haven't seen that before i need to go and ask coach again well it's funny i, I actually i try to not use language and numbers to describe what you're describing because uh, the idea, one of the central ideas behind ecological psychology and what separates it from the information process processing approach is this idea of what's called direct perception. And it's this idea that our body and however you want to define that mind, body, connect, whatever, the whole thing is communicating with the world in front of it at all times based on affordances. So this idea that a body that can do things moves through a world that has things giving information to be acted upon. So if I have a hand that grasps, things look graspable. If I have a hips that bend, things look sitable. Uh, you know, if, if, if I climb, things look climbable, right? And so this is direct perception. There's no way to really symbolically represent this with words because we have to understand that our words and even numbers are indirect perception. These are agreed upon values that have no real place in reality. Uh, they're just the way that we communicate uh, or abstractions, right? Um, so I tell people, I can't even tell you what to do because I don't know. <laughs> like I, I can try to form the words, but what I can tell you is this, your opponent's hips, if you grasp around them, it will make them not move or reduce their movement tremendously. So if you develop a deep relationship with his, the, your partner's hips, your ability to grasp a hold of them, and then using that relationship to hold your partner still, you're going to be better at what you're doing. And, and again, I'm simplifying the way I approach this. I'm just trying to share the idea with you. So again, getting people to focus on the world and act upon it, it, it gives stronger uh, retention and transfer than telling somebody about the world, like telling them that just, it's, it's almost as good as useless. Yeah, uh, I thought this was, you know, I'm, I'm really, it feels like a Rogan podcast. We have someone who's, you know, Rogan, and then someone who's intelligent next to him. Um, <laughs> that's how this currently feels. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I, no, 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 slightest. Like I'm really enjoying it. Um, but funny how you said that recently is that because of this whole the approach I'm currently taking of uh, just stand up, for example. That if and if you're not controlling someone's hips, they're, they're going to get up. Because that's their engine. That's the most powerful part of their body. It's attached to their goddamn legs. Um, and so if you release the hips, they're getting up fast. Whatever they want to accomplish is going to be done with their legs. So if you, and the way I, again, like I, I go down that kind of analogy route is I refer to it as sugar in the gas tank. Like if that's their engine, I need to make it as sluggish as possible. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like I, uh, maybe I'm still using words incorrectly. Um, no, no, no. That's not, I'm sorry. I, I, that's not what I'm saying at all. I, I'm saying like the, your inclinations, I, I feel are good because I feel like I had those same inclinations too. I just went through the trouble of trying to develop language to describe the inclinations I was having. And then I used men who were smarter than me to help refine my ability to talk about it. And I listened to what they were telling me about these procedures. Um, so yeah, being hip-centric, being hip-focused hip is a critical invariant when we're trying to understand grappling. 
because because the hips are the seat of balance, the hips are the seat of power. So if we teach our students to focus on our partner's hips for varying effects, we help them develop a relationship between the hips and their utility. Um, you know, one of the things we, we try to teach about our connections, our structures, and our movements is that they all have a limit and a function. So if we understand the function our, con our connections have as it relates to holding hips still and their limit, i.e. how long we can produce that function, then we develop a relationship that we can use often. Um, and then we can go after over and over and over again to get similar results. It's funny you mentioned about hips as well. Like, yeah, hip, it was when you actually said hip-centric uh, movement. Uh, the uh, what was it 2014 the the DVD that um, Kit Dale and Nick Gregoriadis did together the Roger Grace's black belt one of the parts that Nick talks about is hip centric movement as in you know like you say the hips are, are the seat of everything and and um, if your shoulders go first there's a giant gap and you're not really connecting to them properly but if your hips go first you you know you have that that higher connection that higher weight attachment and. Again, that's something that you know I've I've known since watching that nine years ago, um, but only now is it suddenly like something I'm kind of repeating in class and and really focusing on and, and explain to people because I said the 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 problem was presented to me, um, the solution was presented to me, shall we say, you know, nine years yes. ago, but I hadn't come across a problem yet. Um, and that seems to be like the the, the again the the, the 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 thing that's forcing these changes. It was interesting as well. Like, you know, I went to one of Preet seminars, um, uh, Staffordshire BJJ in in the UK. Um, you know, I I went uh, you know just as a, a guest as it was, and you know, none of my other students were there. And you know, the majority of the guys there, you know, a few of them know Preet's work, and but maybe they were doing a bit more the the more atypical jujitsu approach. And Preet was showing his sideways open guard stand up, and to me, it kind of made sense. It was a solution to some problems that I'd seen, and so it was like, okay, here's a detail for for something that um, is currently happening. Uh, for me, it kind of partially made sense, but to everyone else in the room, they're they're drilling this thing, and then. You know, I, they they got it. They they're all capable of doing it by the end, which again kind of like creates that interesting uh, thing about drilling. I guess is that you can you can do something correctly by the end of a session and be able to pull it off, um, even against you know we're doing it against resisting opponents. You know, pre was setting up the 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 drill of right. I need you to. Uh, get up i need you to hold this person down within these parameters but i then turned around to him afterwards and said that was entirely useless mm -hmm. um and the reason why i told him it was entirely useless is because even though you've you know you've shown them it works you got them to figure out that within the parameters about how you may be adapting it to get up and hold the other person down and vice versa they still don't have a reason for this Right, because um, I could literally go on fantastic seminar, you know, great details there, pre well done. Let's get a group photo, right, guys? We've got like you know ten minutes left. Everyone grab a roll. Uh, we'll get two rolls in, then we'll call it a day. And no one will use the technique because they have no context for for needing it. Um, even though they can do it and they've they've managed to do it in a, in a way that they could adapt around it, there still hasn't been the problem that was generated for it to be in there in the first place 
And sure. weirdly enough, I actually spoke to them a couple of members since. Um, you know, it's been about six weeks now, four weeks or whatever it's been. And I asked them, like, you know, how much are they still using? None. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know if that's me surprised or again, like, you know, no, no disrespect to pre. It was no, a good no, seminar. You're just and, analyzing but, it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think it was it's totally a, fine. <laughs> an interesting moment of, you know, there's, there's so many layers to this that outside of, you know, here's, here's a normal pro jujitsu. Here's a technique. Here's a drill. Do it. They can go, right. Well, here's a resisted drill and I need you to find your, you know, the, the, within the parameters of how this works and adapt to the different variables that you're going to face. But then if I we're think, not even approaching the problem, it becomes dead anyway. For, exactly. And I think part of the problem is this a relationship between exploration and exploitation. So when we want to understand a, a relationship in the world, we explore it. We, we touch it, we prod it, we mess with it. We, we, try to, we try to fuck with it to see what the hell's coming out of it. And then while we're doing that, we, we figure out how to manipulate it to whatever end we want to manipulate it for. And this is what we call an exploit. So once we understand how to generate an outcome from a, a generalized procedure, again, we, can, we should be able to repeat that if it's a stable enough solution and if it solves a problem that will present itself often. And so I think part of the issue is that um, Preet seems to be in this like exploratory uh, space where he's trying to understand the limits and function of defensive postures, which in and of itself is valuable because he's exploring an idea. Uh, but the problem is, and I actually told this on the phone and you know, I'll tell you, uh, if you talk to him, I said that the problem with this is you're separating it from the whole game. Uh, you're separating it from the foundation of what we're doing. And now there's value in that for exploratory purposes to understand new exploits if, if these situations arise, but you can't fight like this because it's breaking the rule, right? So the idea is that I don't even think there is such a thing as, and people are going to fucking chew me up for this, but like defensive postures. Okay. And the reason <gasps> I don't think, I know, right? Uh, I'm and the pretty reason sure if I was a fairy, I would have died. If you saying that dude, like, You've heard of Peter Pan, like that's shit. You don't say that shit, like not not in this, not in these hallowed podcast walls, for fuck's sake. Nothing is hallowed for iconoclast. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> um, but no, man. I mean, the thing is, is like I don't believe in defensive postures because you're always doing what is good for you, which is always inadvertently going to be bad for your opponent. Okay, so even if we're in quote a defensive alignment, as you want to define it that way, meaning I'm not progressing towards what would be considered a dominant end. I'm still making progress towards an end and it's going to require specific alignments to achieve that end. So there really is no separation between those two things, right? So let's say, for example, we're in a typical defensive versus offensive position, the mount, and your job is to separate one of my limbs from my body to start isolating it so you can attack it. And my job is to prevent that from happening as I try to destabilize you and put my legs back in front of you which can be called defensive because as I try to destabilize you in the bottom position to create space, you have to prevent that while you're achieving your end. And while you're trying to separate my arm from my body, I'm trying to stop you from doing that while I progress to my end. So the thing is, is progression should always be what we're talking about. And progression should be defined as uh, orienting ourselves in such a way that we're that much closer towards the end uh, that we're trying to achieve, no matter where we are relative to one another. Um, and that, I mean, that's the easiest way I can explain it. Like I, when, when we, when I teach games, no matter what, what, uh, position we're playing and how we orient the games, it's always task v task. So if your job is to move my arms away from me to isolate them for some reason, my job is to prevent that as I try to get my legs back in front of you. So we're always opposing each other. 
So the question that becomes who's defending and who's progressing. That yeah, uh, that's actually quite interesting. And in that I think you know a, a kind of similar moment I realised upon that. I think I might have even mentioned it. A fucking video that everyone kind of. I'm thankful for it. They had to defend everything video that I made four years ago. But holy shit, things have changed. Uh, but I think even then, I mentioned this idea that you know you have this. Uh, you know, we we want those those control points of the control points of grappling, the grappling clinch of controlling the uh, you know the extremities of the torso, as it were, the spine and um, well, no, as in the limbs, and then like, you know essentially controlling the spine as well. Um, essentially inhabiting the uh, the space between knees and armpits and back of the knees, back of the head, and you know the the grilled chicken shape defensive posture as it were is denying that space and the person on top though looking at passing guard is also trying to deny that space i mean i you know i love watching this video of of hafa mendez guard passing in competition where he's just clowning everyone oh, and he's God, just so good and he's just doing the exact same he's just denying people in that space while they they throw their attack opening up that space to to then um you know, try and catch his and he exploits that and uh, and moves into theirs and it's, it's a it's a boxing fight like they they leave their position of safety uh you know hiding these things to try and get hold of his and while he hides his and then counters well, and gets yours. hold of yours yeah exactly 100%. and so i think i even said at the time like this essentially you know the grilled chicken position is this the position of safety and this guard fight is just a fight between two chickens One's no, upright, it, one's on the rack. And that's what fighting guys who train like that feel like. They feel like they're laying there waiting to get smashed. Like I, um, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's what it feels like. And I, it's, it's, it's sort of frustrating because I see the value in exploring it. I, I see the value in trying to understand the nuances of alignment as it relates to you being in an inefficient alignment where it's going to take more energy for you to progress than your partner. And so if, if we want that to be defined as defensive, then so be it. But either way, the, the end should be uh, towards progress. Uh, and what I tell my guys is we're always fighting over the same thing. We can make it as granular, granular as we want. But in a yeah. general sense, we are attacking the periphery, the head, arms, and legs to gain access to center mass. That's the hips, the shoulders, the chest, and the back, so that we can immobilize center mass, isolate and reattack the periphery. You can define every action that's being taken into that. I, I've tried, man. I've tried to distill it down, and but that's that's it. So it doesn't matter whether I'm on the bottom uh, of the mounted position or I'm I'm on your back. That generalized procedure, you're going to be somewhere within that scope, and you're trying to either be doing the immobilizing. Or you're going to be trying to resist being immobilized as you work towards immobilize, immobilizing. So, but again, like I love, I've I've been so excited that you know when when we restart this to be able to talk to you because it feels like I, you know I say something partially similar in that I refer to it as major and minor control. Is in I'm I I, I want to open up the the space between your hips and armpits to be able to control your majority, your torso in some fashion. And once I've I've gone for majority control, I need to then move to minority control of going for your arm or leg and and you know controlling the 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 a joint below and above and below what that is and the the, the joint closest to the like I say the center mass the torso is my control joint and the firm furthest away is usually my submission joint and anyone who ever met met who's a elite level leg lock artist for example the amount of control they put through the of the 
control joint, the one nearest to my torso, yep. is frightening. Um, I know. I, I've trained. I trained about ten hours with Eddie Cummings, and what oh, I tell dude. everybody was legitimately. It was beautiful and frightening all at the same time, right? So it's beautiful in the sense that the amount of con direct and indirect control, which I can describe in a second, that he exhibits over your body is impressive. Like, and I've trained with all different types of people. When, I, when The first time you rolled, I walked away from that shit like, dude, I'm going to train with this guy again. So I literally would go up to Unity because he had left his death squad and I would do an hour. He'd be like, do you want to learn something? I'm like, no, we're just going to do rounds. This is what I want. We're going to fight. And it was like I would go home on the train rubbing my knees like, fuck, because like he was brutal, like super fast, super precise, super controlling and mean, which I like. I appreciate that deeply. I have no negatives to say about him, but to feel it actually being done like in person was a different experience. And, yeah. and that's what I, I showed, too. I mean, I was never in I could never establish anything that we can define as control. And so for my guys, I say that control is a concept and we can discuss it at many levels, but in general, to control somebody, you have to take away time, space, and material. So when we're interacting with somebody, we're either uh, imposing time demands on them by forcing them to resist us. We're imposing space demands by denying motion. Um, and we're imposing material demands by taking away things they could use to defend themselves. Um, and we can only say we're controlling somebody if we're imposing those demands either across the spectrum or aspects of each of those um or each of those each of those aspects exactly um and it's, it's, it's fascinating like i say though, I mean, the the expression of that idea from what from what eddie was doing and again it's, it's one of those things that i found with um you know elite level people in this sport um and then it kind of makes you think you know, kind of where I wanted to lead on to with this, with is, um, why the fuck aren't the rest of us doing this? Like, the second I felt like that kind of pressure through a leg, I was like, the fuck have I been doing up until now? Um, we didn't understand where to put our, our attention. We didn't know what yeah. made it work, right? We're, we're, we're a cop, we're spamming moves. Dude, we're, we're spamming a step-by-step -step process that we saw in the DVD. Yeah, we, yeah. We didn't, we didn't know what the, the function and limit of, of the connection was. We had no idea. Right. And we didn't even have a fundamental basis to attach our focus to like who told you that immobilization is what led to strangulation and breaking. Like who told you that? And if they, if they did tell you that, did they define immobilization for you and, and the mechanics by which a limb gets immobilized? No, no one ever told us any of this. So of course we didn't know. <laughs> so the question then becomes like, and I guess I'm saying this from a point of view that, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to try and, change how people are coaching and i actually when i was with ryan back in in august i did ask i watched this class and i was blown away because you know i've been around enough gyms in the uk and you know, a bit of the states and it was all the, the 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 usual approach and then to go see ryan teach and just you know the call and response he's got going and uh, and how he shows his class uh, i was like wow that is different to say the least. And I sat with them afterwards and went, "How, how do you get over the anxiety that you think you're going to fuck up your students by completely rewriting how you teach this mm -hmm. um, into into this a new method?" Um, and so that's the you know it was, it was one of the issues that I had because especially in a competitive sport like this, is that you feel that sometimes if you if you 
step outside the the given approach, which you know you could argue has worked up until now. Um, um, only I am not going to loose definition of that. I know. Stop. I'm devil's <laughs> advocate here. Um, is uh, yeah, and it's like that. You know, looking from especially as a junior coach coming through in, into like a more established coach and over time, especially getting the black belt. I don't want to fuck up my students. I don't want to go, guys. We're not doing anything how we used to do. We're going to do it this way now. Um, hustle up. Let's let's get to work. And then you'll go into competition and get fucking trounced or something i'm like that'd be a nightmare um which then could make me not want to do different and just stick to the normal approach and so i'm trying to to you know especially when i do seminars and and stuff is i I teach very little technique and i try and uh talk about mindset a lot differently and, and coaching practices but what advice could you do you think you'd have to to convince someone to to step out you know take the risk and step outside of this as it were and and not feel as anxious well there's a lot of different i guess ways i can answer that question but i'll, I'll share how it happened to me so uh, when i started my school i came across this idea like very simple through through white papers and abstracts written by scientists so it really had nothing to do with grappling it all had to do with like catching balls and playing blinking games and so i was really had to like pull out what i thought was the meat of what they were trying to say and then i had to start applying it um, and so the first thing I would say is that you should care more about trying to apply an idea and see the effect it has than just repeating the effect that everyone's always getting. Because if you always repeat the effect that everyone's always getting, you're always going to get what everyone got and you're not going to be able to push the envelope. Um, so trying to have an effect on your students towards a positive end is the starting point. And the second thing is, as I started this, I, I wasn't confident to, to create a whole class around it. So what I would do is I would select special students who were intelligent and who were there every day. And I'd be like, hey, listen, I got this idea for you. I want you to focus your intention and attention on this thing. And I want you to try to perform this task. Let's talk in three weeks. I want you to tell me what outcomes you are having and let's discuss it. So that was the first way I started approaching this. I would select students to do it. And then in 2016, coincidentally enough, when I went up to the desk squad, I talked to John Danaher. And I was like, dude, why why are does our language sound similar are you reading something that 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 you're like holding and he's like no i'm not reading anything and i was like then why did what we say sound so similar and he said because we're experiencing the same phenomenon we're just paying attention and i was like well how do you know that you're doing it right and he's like i don't he's like i use trial and error he's like I'm, i may spend six months going in one direction only to realize i'm wrong so i have to turn around and do it again and after we had that conversation i came back and changed my classes immediately because i realized that's all we can do if we really want to know what's on the other side, we got to start walking. Okay. To having fear of quote, messing somebody up is to believe that we understand how to mess somebody up. I don't even know how to, back then I didn't know how to make it right. So fuck messing it up. Might as well start from scratch. And that's sort of what I did. So I changed my language. I changed my class structure. I started trying to define, I tried to define different ways to describe things in human language rather than symbolic language, like Baron Bolas and Kiss of the Dragons and Kazushi. Um, anyway, uh, man, Fuck your students up, bro. See if you can. You might end up uh, fixing them. Weirdly, it was actually a uh, a local black belt to me that I said I guess said something rather similar at the time, which you know maybe maybe the traditional aspects of jujitsu are fucking us up as well. Um, is that with regards to you know I was a I was a blue belt at the time. I you know there was no black belt. There'd never been a black belt at my gym, and I thought fuck, I'm gonna book one for a seminar. And so he was like the first guy I was going to book, and I, you know, I said to him, "Oh, do you mind if we record it?" Uh, and he went, uh, "I'd rather you didn't." Uh, I was like, "Oh, oh shit, okay." Then this is like you know, two thousand and 
14 or 13 or whatever it was. I was like, is there a particular reason why? And he went, um, because if you record it, I can guarantee by the time I've said it, it's going to be out of date. And if you want the best information out of me, like, and for, for me to hear that from a black belt, you know, this is mystical being capable of magic uh, to say that, yeah, I'm going to be wrong pretty soon on what I've just told you. I was like, how? You're a black belt. And you already knew he was wrong. Yeah, exactly. It was even funnier. And so that's like, you know, one of the things that over time I've, I've kind of, you know, I, I get that, uh, uh, you know, I was getting that a fair bit. Like, you know, guys come up, you know, come to me and they learn something from me and then they come back to me in six months' time to go, why are you saying that? You know, you said this to me six months ago. I'm like, yeah, but I was wrong then. Or not not as right as I could be, as you said. My efficiency wasn't there yet. Um, <laughs> I've been paying attention. Yeah, no, um, I see. Very good. You're English. I figured you would be. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it was it was uh, the this idea that uh, I yeah I'm 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 learning. I I'm just I'm, essentially my black belt means I've just been here longer. Um, that's about it. And I'm still figuring this out. And so, you know, if you hear me say anything, understand that probably by the time it's come out of my mouth, I understand it better now. And talk to me again tomorrow is probably going to sound even better. Um, and I think tying yourself to your belt sounds a weird way of saying that, actually. Um, <laughs> and, and not willing to become uh, humiliated to an extent on what you've said um a prime example is like again like i've used this uh, a few times this idea that when you're teaching class as a junior instructor to kind of like demonstrate your worth that you are still the 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 person in the room to go to you try and show more elaborate shit every class like i need to know a new show a new setup i need to show a new 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 finish or i need to show a new pass or something like that and you just always trying to one-up yourself with regards to like, oh, look how good I am at what I'm doing. Um, instead of just going, fuck, I'm allowed to fail. And and I think, thank you. Like hearing hearing someone like Dan Hur even say that, like and, and Ryan say that of like, oh, fuck, you can, you can fuck up. Like, it's cool to fuck up. Like, don't worry about fucking up. You know, if you, if you have that kind of relationship with your students that, you know, you're all working together and see yourself on the same, plane of existence um they'll allow you to fuck up as much as they fuck up but if you you know you have to set yourself up as this mystical being of a black belt who can't fuck up then i guess you won't take risks oh no for sure and that's kind of what disgusts me about like black belt culture and the way people run their schools it's like you're you're just a guy bro like you're 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 a guy who hopefully likes you to more than your students and you're trying to guide them along to be better than you so you should be in the trenches with them you know trial and error, yeah. experimenting, failure, success, because that's what we're teaching them to do. So if we're not willing to do that with them as our knowledge progresses, as our understanding progresses, then you're not doing your job appropriately. And you're trying to get your student to do something that you're not even willing to do. Um, and I always, man, I, 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 I try to keep it as real as I can, man. Like uh, I tell, like even till now, like I'm 39, you know, it, you know, I've got a broken fucking body, but I really don't care. Like, and I tell people like, if you, if you come to roll with me, and you don't try to beat me up, don't come to me ever again. Like, I even try to put that into the culture. Like, we're here together. We're both on the mat. The only reason you, quote, respect me because you think I represent something that's mystical and magical. But the truth is, man, I'm just a mat rat. I'm any other guy. 
So we're in this together. Let's go, you know? And so uh, I, I try to, I try to keep it real with my students. You know, I even tell them when I fuck up, like, yeah, I was wrong. Let's do something different. This, that sucked, you know? Yeah. And I, I actually said in, in, I've said a couple of times in classes recently that the way that a lot of my students coming through, like my blue belts, et cetera, right now, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how the fuck to hold you down. Uh, it makes it makes uh, me not want to wear my black belt. I, if I didn't sound like a pretentious dick for doing it, I'd hand it back and go down a couple. I'd I'd happily put a purple back back on for the time being because I do not feel as good as this this bit of fabric should make me look. And yeah, it's it's I I, I sat there in class as well, like you know, talking about. Um, this you know holding someone down effectively and you know the the my ability to even do it is is limited and and saying look i i don't know the fuck to teach normal anymore like because of this i don't know how to teach side control anymore like i've my my you know we're going to do the same game day in day out now um until we crack it because currently i don't know what the fuck to do afterwards because i can't find it um (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I mean, that's really why I sort of kind of try to come up with this framework so we could explore the idea of variation with while trying to search for consistency and outcome. You know, it's like I tell my students, all jujitsu is is a priority-based system uh, through a structural hierarchy as a search for physical certainty. And so we want to approach this process from many different angles with as much variability as possible, uh, but we want to try to understand why we're taking action towards one end or another. So even if, because uh, like, I, I use that that common language of your basic thing. So for example, in my foundations class, we only explore six positions, three are pins and three are guards. So we do uh, side control alignment, mount and back. Uh, and I'll explain that more deeply so you can understand what I mean by side control. And then we have open guard, closed guard, half guard. And so really the only reason I make a distinction between let's say like side control mount is because the degrees between perpendicularity and, and parallelity, that's a fake word, but I'm using it, um, between those two degrees, there there's a whole world that exists. So we have to be able to recognize when we're aligned one way versus another, but the objective that we're trying to reach is always the same. Um, and so same thing with guards, right? Our legs are either closed around an aspect of our opponent's body or open, right? So that's why you have closed, that's your, around the waist. We have half, which is two legs interacting with one. And then we have open. Our legs are open and connected via post and hook. And so you can explore a lot or 90% of jiu-jitsu, which is those six positions, top and bottom. Um, and it pretty much covers all the stereotypical things that are going to happen to a beginner as they learn how to play the basic game of Stay on top, hold your partner down, isolate limbs, break and strangle. Bottom player, keep hand and feet on opponent. Don't let them pass your legs. If they do, get them back, destabilize them. You become the top player. And so that's the basic game we have to teach them how to play. And it's very easy to express that through those six positions. So rather than teach the position, we teach the function of the position. So the bottom player is always doing the same thing making and maintaining connection for the purpose of controlling distance, for the purpose of destabilization. If you don't have connections, we use movement to create space. So we can put in frames to make connections, use frames to make more movement, to make more connections until we're regarded. And then we repeat the process all over again. Anyway. Weirdly enough, like aside from the, the regarding, like we, we essentially just say like, get the fuck up. Um, we're using well, the exact same process right now of, of the elbow frame. Um, of, of, and it was the motion aspect that's probably the, the most recent part of using the, the, the frame to create the motion to then you know, create the outcome. Um, so, 
I heard you say that. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to say one thing because I, I remembered this when I was listening to your podcast. Uh, you were saying just get the fuck up, right? So I actually agree. Uh, but I, there's, a, there's a dilemma we're playing actually when we're grounded. So once you're the bottom guy, basically our limbs function as two different things, frames and base points. They can't be both at the same time. So when we're maximally framed, all four points or all four limbs are effectively attached to our opponent to manage distance. When we base on the ground, or, or we, can only, we can only really start basing with two points of contact. Uh, yeah. So once we put those two points of contact, those are two frames that are lost. So now to manage distance, we have to take up that slack with motion, hip movement. So we have to determine what's the best way to go from a grounded position to a based position and ultimately back up while under the pressure of somebody holding us down. So we make that choice relative to the level of destabilization present in the system. So if, somebody, if a top player is fully attached to you and pinning you to the mat, the most efficient way to start destabilization is to use all four limbs. But once destabilization occurs, we can sacrifice some of those frames and turn them into base points so we can immobilize our hips and get to our feet. So it's more efficient to use four tools to start the destabilization process to assist in building a base and getting up than to ignore the pressures that are in front of you and say, just get the fuck up. So it's just a question of what's going to more efficiently get me to my feet. Uh, no, yeah. sorry. One more thing. And I'll shut up. I swear is, um, uh, I tell my students, you only need to be as threatening from the bottom as you need to be to get up. So your guard is inherently a defensive position and it should be utilized to put you in a progressive position. So how do you mean by that? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm roughly probably about to say the exact same thing. Um, so, okay. So when I'm on the bottom, I am forced to use my arms and legs as a way to manage distance. I don't have a choice. So that is what makes it quote a defensive position. And I'm saying in quotes, cause we talked about the dichotomy between defense and no defense. It's like, it's sort of like a two sides of the same coin. It's not really, but it's defensive in, in, in the sense that it's being imposed upon me. Even if I choose to go to my back, I'm limiting myself. So if we know that we play the, the game of immobilization as it leads to strangulation and breaking, and we know that some alignments are more mobile than others, and we choose an alignment that reduces mobility beyond our opponents, then we could consider that a defensive response because we're doing it either against our will or not towards the ultimate end, which is to immobilize them, not ourselves. So uh, that I, I, I don't know if that explains it for you. No, it's, it's, again, like I feel like I'm, I'm always circling the circling similar ideas, but in a in a in an ape-like sense, is that the way I've 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 been like beating into people recently is is this idea that um I refer to as the, the three S's: you should sweep, sub, or stand. You should sweep or sub if you cannot stand, and essentially the same thing. Like I should be attacking your balance or fighting doggedly for submission to threaten you and I should be doing that because I can't get up because you are aggressively attacking me so I have to apply aggression back I'm cornered I have to if I'm just passively lying here I'm doomed um and I think what you're saying is exactly right that's what we need to do but then the question becomes is how do we orient our intention and attention around that action so then it becomes what is foundationally similar in all grounded situations and it's one, the strength of our connections and as and what we use them for. So we cannot manipulate an object unless we connect to it. And the question becomes is, what are we connecting to? Well, we're connecting someone with the intention of holding us down. How do they hold us down? They take all our space away and put their weight on us. So then that would suggest that the first foundation of our connections is to manage that distance so that cannot happen 
to an effective degree at which we get stuck. Then the second thing becomes, as we're managing distance, what's the problem? Well, I'm still on the ground. Well, how do I get this weight off me? I have to destabilize it. I have to put it, I have to get it off of me in a, a way where I'm carrying less weight than they are. So if I can make them carry their own weight, the weight's reduced from me and now I can come up. So then I came up with uh, our job, all guarded positions have the same function. Their function is to make and maintain connection for the purpose of managing distance, for the purpose of destabilization. And that's the precursor to sweeping, standing, and submitting. If the body is stable, we can't sweep, submit, or stand against it. So again, that suggests action towards destabilization. Again, like it's it's, it's fascinating. I, a lot of these things you hear, especially like I was in um, talk about the destabilization when someone was on, um, you know, just doing this thing with Charles Harriet uh, over at Fanatics. Is uh, I don't think he, he kind of maybe expressed it as much as he should have. But the thing that kind of changed everything for us is this idea that. Um, if I can't, I'm, I'm going to drive myself away from you, uh, especially if you're holding on to me and trying to, I say, like destabilize you. Because whilst you're trying to hold me, and I'm essentially shaking underneath you by moving away and, and swimming away from you across the floor, um, if you create any emotion to try and, try and chase me or, or, cha- or, or, or carry up my body to pass my guard, that gives me the space to get up. But if I say stay exactly still, why you're putting pressure on me i can't do that uh, unless i again fuck of your base and fuck of your balance but remember both players are in motion so the thing is is if you're on the floor running backwards i can be on top of you running forward and that's not necessarily going to break my balance if i know how to play that exchange yes because if you're fleeing or yielding i know that my destabilization is going forward so then I orient my base to prevent falling forward in such a way that would cause me to become the bottom player. So again, here's the issue. The bottom player has two things it has to connect to, to manipulate itself out of its position, the floor and the person, and it has to split the difference. So then what is the most efficient way to both connect to our opponent and connect to the floor as it relates to what you're asking them to do? Sweep, submit, or stand. So we need to understand that functional relationship. And this is where we get the difference between skill and technique. Technique is a process by which we make, get an outcome. Skill is our ability to manipulate all the novelty present within that situation to get our outcome. So the skill isn't sweeping or submitting or standing. The skill is destabilization because your ability to connect and to manage distance and destabilize opponent leads to all three outcomes. Those are the necessary precursors. So if you spent the next five years of your life learning how to use your connections to manage distance and destabilize with no real technical end except that, you're going to feel like a nightmare to, to stand in front of. People are feel like they can't touch you. Yeah. They're going to feel like they can't put weight on you. Yeah. I mean, and, it'd be interesting as well, especially because of a lot of the stuff I've been putting out recently and, and you know, my, my the black belts in my gym are, are very interested in this. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of excited to, you know, once we're out of this, I'm literally going to download it and send it straight to them and go, you you need to listen to this. Like It's, it's quite interesting. Um, I, I really hope so, man. Like I, That's kind of my point. Like I'm real excited because I figure all of us talking, we're going to tell each other what we're discovering and it's going to strengthen our understanding. You know, that's yes. why I, I go so hard with my explanation because I want to make sure that when I join this fucking conversation that I'm a viable speaker. Because, again, someone's going to impose that on me and then we're going to have to challenge each other's views and hopefully grow from it. Yes. Um, 
completely and and uh, it'd, be, it'd be a lot of fun as well to to i mean we've we've threatened this idea before like pre and i uh about having a not like a seminar but almost like a workshop panel like where, where people are watching instead of you know a service essentially teaching to a room it's just a you know a bunch of interesting folks shall we say just sharing these ideas across the room and bouncing these these ways of teaching across to each other uh with an audience uh, like almost like a panel as it were um so if we could ever do this in podcast form or even in person if we ever end up in the states at the same time or if you ever come over to europe it'd be a lot of fun to actually like like do a lot of what you've just been saying but with actual physical footage as it were oh no for sure i mean like i'm actually i got invited to do this like they're doing this thing over here in uh north of me uh called the like the summit uh, one a school owner uh, over here is getting a bunch of guys together to teach like a weekend of seminars okay. um and so basically what i'm doing is i don't show technique or show details or anything like that i teach it's a very different thing so i'm literally going to go run a practice for them and teach them how to use the methods of definitions, objectives, and task orientation to orient practice or to design practice. So I'm going to run them through one of my foundational practices. So that's going to be what I give to the seminar. Uh, I mean, sure, other guys would show like, you know, K-Guard and Choi Bars, but I'm going to teach people how to hold people down and, and break their limbs. <laughs> so when is that? Like, it'll be interesting if, I'm, if I can um, swing it, it somehow. It, it's in July. Uh, I I don't know oh, the okay. exact date. Like I can't remember dates, so I literally have to have people check me all the time and tell me like when right. it is in the in, in time because I forget. I mean, I do the same thing every day. It's like I fucking forget that it's what what month it is. May May it's May right now. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, it possibly could be. <laughs> I'm not sure either. I don't fucking know. I really don't know. Like oh god, like last night I had this coaching thing this morning, uh, and I had to tell everybody that I had we had to be pre we had to go an hour earlier because I had to be in Pennsylvania, and I almost forgot. I almost forgot that it wasn't an hour earlier because I'd convinced myself that we were already going to do it. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> I think about one thing, man, and then everything else gets messed up. I can't think about anything else. <laughs> yeah, I, I get you. I get you. Um, that I said, I mean, hopefully maybe towards the end of the year, we can, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure Preet's kind of fucked forever. Um, but I, I'd love to. never like, stops moving. Dude, I don't, I don't know where he finds the time to do anything. I mean, I... I get burnt out from the amount I'm doing and have to have you know, a bit of time where I go, fuck jiu-jitsu for a bit. I'll go mental if I do this anymore. Um, but be, I say if I, I'm, I'm quite fortunate I get to come out to the States more often than not. Um, and so I'd love to, to, to pop in and, and you know share these ideas and, and actually record some stuff with you if that's uh, ever something you're interested in. It's and I'm always interested, man. I got my gym's free for everyone to visit. I encourage people to come here all the time. I don't just say what I say. I do what I say. So I really like people to see it for themselves. I was actually really happy your buddy Rob Cole came over here and just spent the weekend with us. Yeah. Um, and so he can kind of talk to you about what we did and, and how his experience was. I, I had him train with my two-year blue belt, Noah, who I've been telling everyone about. Um, he did say you guys are monsters. Uh, beasts, I think the word was. <laughs> So nah, yeah, just, I've, a I've, of, I've, just a bunch of jitsu junkies, man. That's all. As it always should be. Um, well, it's it's getting late for you, but it's it's three a.m. for me. And for sure, man. If I if I if I don't stop, I'm not going to make my flight to Amsterdam. So um, you're a soldier, dude. I love it, man. I actually like you like ten percent more. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> so I need to I need to at least sleep at some point. 
um this has been i i've really enjoyed this i'm i'm so glad we 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 went this way around and uh you know just went for it and and i'm thank you for for taking the time out to to have a chat and and hopefully if if you ever for another one we can do this again in the very not too distant future yeah i'm I'm really up for anything man you just reach out to me I, i'm as communicative as i can possibly be i talk to everyone who messages me and plus <laughs> yeah. I, I really i really do I, I spend hours talking to people trying trying to be better at communicating these ideas and and of course helping my own community because you know jujitsu is for all of us i know it sounds cheesy as fuck but i, I want people to do real jujitsu i want it to become fighting again you know yeah. and i want to try to share what i'm discovering so completely and i i feel you know i'm again this feels like a rogan podcast and you know don't want to say you're jordan peterson that, that sounds <laughs> yeah compared to jordan peterson man he's kind of a pussy he's crying on the mic and shit <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I won't use that. I won't use that. Like, I'm trying to make friends here, and calling you Jordan Peterson may not be a way of doing that. (laughs) Um, Be like, yo, bro, I enjoy talking to you. Got some sick shit to say, and then we're we're immediately friends. We're good. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun, and like I say, I mean, I'm I'm glad we've done this, and uh, hopefully we can repeat it again and and do more in the future. And uh, just thank you for your time. Oh man, uh, thank you too. uh, Yeah, this has been. I'm I'm sure this was a podcast. not a phone conversation so yeah this is thank you to anyone who's listened to this i hope you've enjoyed it and uh no uh, thank you greg <laughs>